Uh, and at this time, I'd like you to direct your attention to the screen in front of the sanctuary. holiday on the Jewish calendar, even Yom Kippur, is ultimately about joy, except for one. Every major ancient holiday on the Jewish calendar, even Yom Kippur, is ultimately about joy, except for one, Tisha B'Av. On this day, the ninth of the Hebrew month of Av, it's said that a series of major tragedies to the Jewish people occurred, including the destruction of the first and second temples. It's a day of mourning for getting kicked out of the land of Israel, for the destruction of Jerusalem, and the medieval expulsions from various lands. It's said that Tisha B'Av is the day when it all went down, literally. Sacred sites, entire communities, utterly destroyed, leaving a gaping hole in our collective soul. When life comes crashing down, we're left devastated. We cry, we mourn, we feel isolated. All natural responses to loss. Tisha B'Av is a day of mourning when the Jewish people acknowledge that no, Life is not all butterflies and roses. And yes, this tribe has been through some serious suffering. The time prior to this day is known as the three weeks. The period starts with a fast on the 17th of Tammuz when the siege of Jerusalem in 70 CE began and intensifies during the last nine days when the walls were breached until the 9th of Av when the ancient temple fell. The whole period is somber and it's customary not to hold weddings during this time. Traditional Jews stop shaving, cutting their hair, and listening to music. During the nine days, some also refrain from eating meat and drinking alcohol. The final day is Tisha B'Av, a 24-hour fast. In the evening, it's common to sit on low stools or the floor at synagogue and to hear the Book of Echa, Lamentations, chanted by candlelight. The book, traditionally ascribed to Jeremiah, brings readers on a graphic journey of the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. Silent sit on the ground the elders of fair Zion. They have strewn dust on their heads and girded themselves with sackcloth. The maidens of Jerusalem have bowed their heads to the ground. My eyes are spent with tears, my heart is in tumult. My being melts away over the ruin of my poor people, as babes and sucklings languish in the squares of the city. The melodies of the day are like a dirge, a time of reflection as Lamentations concludes, Ashivenu Adonai, turn us to you, Holy One, and we will return. Renew us as before. Following the reading, it's customary not to greet each other and to leave in silence, honoring the lives lost in the sacred space of introspection. When a dark history seems to follow an entire people around, it's only natural to ask why, or how could this be? Sometimes these questions are real, and sometimes they're more like a lament. Why me? Why us? How could this have happened? Echa translates literally to how, as in, how could this be? Jewish thinkers have struggled to understand these questions for thousands of years. Historians see these as historical events where one nation overpowered another, but the rabbis understood them differently. In Hebrew, sinat chinam, baseless or useless hatred, was rampant throughout the land. The rabbinic tradition understood the loss of Jerusalem and the temple to be the divine consequence of the people's unethical behavior. That's why this day is also a time to consider improving our own words and actions in the world, especially how we treat others. Tisha B'Av comes in the midst of summer and yanks people out of that summertime and the living is easy feeling. The day invites Jews to turn inward and consider what it means to face national, spiritual, and individual darkness and loneliness. With a reflective heart, the next turn is outward, towards the light of life again, which renews a people's connection to God, to each other, and to the world. 
The spiritual turns of Tisha B'Av prepare the Jewish people for the biggest turn of the year, just seven short weeks away when the shofar calls our attention to Rosh Hashanah and the new year. Interesting thing happened this past week in Jerusalem. If you have your Bibles, open it up to the fifth chapter of Lamentations. And I just want to read one verse. This is not part of the message, by the way. Verse 18. Because of Mount Zion, which is desolate, with foxes, walking about on it. So guess what they saw on the Temple Mount this week? Foxes. How come you're not as excited as I am? You know, there's a story told in Jewish tradition of Rabbi Akiva walking with two other rabbis along the destroyed stones of the Temple in Jerusalem. And they saw foxes walking. And the two other rabbis cried because of the desolation of the temple. And Rabbi Akiva smiled. And they asked him, Rabbi, why are you smiling? And he said, if Jeremiah's prophecy in Lamentations about foxes walking on the Temple Mount when it's in desolation is true, then the other prophecies of Jeremiah concerning the rebuilding of Jerusalem are also true. Dear ones, I believe we're living in the last days. And I believe that this is a prophetic sign. It's not an accident. And there wasn't one fox. There was a quote about a dozen young foxes playing on the southern steps of the Temple Mount. By the way, those southern steps is the portion of the temple where the Al-Aqsa Mosque is. Foxes playing in the desolation of Jerusalem. A sign, I believe, that the future rebuilding of the Holy Temple and the end of days is at hand. Amen? Amen. Amen. The year is 586 B.C. The nation of Israel has already been taken into captivity. The city of Jerusalem is under siege by the Babylonians. And soon, the walls of the city will be destroyed. The Babylonian army will come and they will plunder all the gold, all the silver, all the bronze items that are in the temple. And then, they would in fact destroy the temple itself. Many people would be killed. Others would be taken captive to Babylon. And the rest well, they would be left in Judah without anything. Their whole society and way of life was being completely destroyed. And it's in this context that Jeremiah writes the following words. I ask that you stand with me as we read from Scripture. 
Jeremiah chapter 3, and I'm reading verses 1 through 25. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He has led me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Surely he has turned his hand against me time and time again throughout the day. He has aged my flesh and my skin and broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and woe. He has set me in dark places like the dead of long ago. He has hedged me in so that I cannot get out. He has made my chain heavy. Even when I cry and shout, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with hewn stone. He has made my paths crooked. He has been to me like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in ambush. He has turned aside my ways and torn me in pieces. He has made me desolate. He has bent his bow and set me up as a target for the arrow. He has caused the arrows of his quiver to pierce my loins. I have become the ridicule of all my people and their taunting song all the day. He has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drink wormwood. He has also broken my teeth with gravel and covered me with ashes. You have moved my soul far from peace. I have forgotten prosperity. And I said my strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. Remember my affliction and roaming, the wormwood and the gall. But my soul still remembers and sinks within me. And this I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. You may be seated. Jeremiah lived from about 626 B.C. to about 586 B.C. As we know, he's responsible for writing the book of Jeremiah, the book of Lamentations. And the Lamentations, you can almost look at them as if they are diaries, giving us a firsthand insight into the life of this prophet. And what I read... I believe, was a testimony of a man who felt mistreated by God. In other words, it was almost as if all was hopeless. He felt hopeless. He did not expect anything to good to come out of his life. His suffering, if you will, had caused him to lose hope. To which I asked the question, what about any of us? What has happened in our lives that have caused us to feel hopeless. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's the loss of a job. Maybe it's a habit or an addiction that's controlling a life. Broken relationships that can't be healed. When you're depressed, you feel hopeless. You feel rejected by those you love, you feel hopeless. When you have a medical problem, 
that resists all efforts of cure, you feel hopeless. When you're struggling with an addiction or struggling with a habit you can't break, when you don't expect anything good is going to come to your way, that's called feeling hopeless. Well, I have some sobering news for all of us today. Pain is guaranteed for anyone who takes on the task of living. If you're not going through a hard time right now, just wait. You will. That's the nature of living in a world like ours. Some of you are in the furnace of suffering right now. Others of you have just come out of it. And the rest of us, well, we'll just be there sooner or later. George Barna, the public opinion pollster, conducted a national survey in which he asked adults this question, quote, if you could ask God one question, what would you ask? And do you know what the top response was? Why is there pain and suffering in this world? Well, there are many reasons. Sometimes we suffer because of our own actions. And we may not always understand what thought or what deed created a chain of events that has led to our suffering. But on the other hand, if you've been a chain smoker and contract lung cancer, or if you have an aortic embolism due to smoking, your thoughts and your actions have been the cause. Sometimes we suffer because of the thoughts and actions of other people. We're caught in the, what I would call, overflow of events that affect us. And in reality, most of those events we have absolutely no control over. A drunken driver kills a young child. Someone is robbed, beaten up. A driver crosses the middle line and God forbid, smashes head-on into another car. And sometimes, sometimes, we suffer for reasons that just can't be explained. We suffer because of circumstances. Now, I've heard people say there are no circumstances with God. I don't know. If there's human freedom, I think there must be circumstance. Back in 2001... There was a story in the New Yorker magazine. It reported that CNN founder Ted Turner was suicidal after the breakup of his marriage to Jane Fonda and after losing control over Turner Broadcasting. And it's interesting. Turner told the magazine that his marriage to Fonda broke up partly because of her decision to become a practicing Christian. Now, Turner himself is a strident non-believer, filled with bitterness, and not just because of his marital and business problems, but also because his own father killed himself when Ted was 24 years old, and then later his sister died from a painful disease. When asked about these tragedies, Turner, Turner responded this, quote, I couldn't understand how someone so innocent should be allowed to suffer so much. Ted Turner was suffering for reasons that could not be explained. So how do we negotiate life? 
How do we get through life when our road is filled with one pothole after another? When there are blind curves around every corner and dead ends, even though we think we're going in the right direction? The answer is not a new life. The answer is not a new career. The answer is not a new spouse. The answer is a new attitude of hope. And that's the title of this message this morning. Hope. And hope is always possible. Say that with me. Hope is always possible. In spite of all the uncertainties of life, hope is possible. So what is this hope that we need? And how is it possible? Well, the word hope itself, I think, is kind of like the word love. In that, it's widely used, but really understood. You see, the hope of many people, unfortunately, are just empty wishes waiting to be fulfilled by the gods of wishful thinking. We're expressing a desire and wishing it would come true, but with no guarantee that what we want is what we will get. I found this quote this week. I think it's pretty cool. Quote, In hoping that it doesn't rain or hoping that our ball team wins the game, have we forgotten what hope is? Hope is much more than wishing on a star. It is so much more than cliche and empty promises. I wish I had a new car. I wish I were taller. I wish I would win the lottery. Dear ones, hope, biblical hope, is a sure expectation that something good is going to happen. Biblical hope is the expectation, the sure expectation, that something is going to happen. Why? Because God keeps his word. Biblical hope is a confident expectation based on a solid certainty. It rests on the promises of God. He that believes has eternal life. Period. Yes, that will happen because God keeps his promises. The writer of Hebrews wrote this. To have faith. uh, He wrote this. I'm sorry. I got it marked in here. Bear with me. This message is getting to me too. Let us hold on firmly to the hope we profess. Because we can trust God to keep his promise. To have faith is to be sure of the things we hope for, to be certain of the things we cannot see. In the verses that I read, something happens in verse 21 of the text. Quote, This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. You see, Jeremiah remembers something. His thinking has changed. He has been thinking of pain and suffering, but now, now he has a new thought. The verses continue. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. In effect, what Jeremiah did was change his mind talk. You ever heard that phrase, mind talk? Jeremiah could think about his pain and rejection, or he could think about the promises of God. 
Jeremiah changed his mind talk. You see, mind talk is that inner conversation that we all have with ourselves. It's what we tell ourselves about the people and events in our lives. It's how we interpret what happens to us and around us. It's almost like before we feel, we think. It's all of our emotions, good, bad, and indifferent. They're all the products of what we think about. Proverbs 23, 7 says it this way. As a man thinks within himself, so he is. And in the Brit Hadashah, the heart is the center of both our physical life and our spiritual life. Yeshua made this comment. It's in Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. And in another place he said this, Matthew 12, 34. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Here's the important thing to understand. In this middle chapter of Echa, Lamentations, in this middle chapter of a diary of a man who was pummeled, yelled at, pushed, beaten, feeling the wrath of God, in the middle of all that, Jeremiah found hope. Instead of thinking about all of his troubles, Jeremiah began thinking about the goodness of God. Did you know that the brain activity we use to remember is the exact same brain activity that we use to plan for the future? Our future is based upon our experience in the past. And so by reflecting on the past, Jeremiah was able to think about his future. And Jeremiah found hope. Why? Because God's mercies are new every morning. Say that with me. God's mercies are new every morning. And that is a certain truth. Did you ever have a bad night where you rolled and tossed about all night? You know, like last night. Can you remember how good the daylight felt? How wonderful the guarantee of a fresh new day felt? This is the idea here of God's mercies. In, in, in essence, we come out of the shadows of darkness into the freshness of his light and mercy. And Jeremiah found hope because God is, though, is good to those who wait on him. And that is also a certain truth. Jeremiah found hope because of God's unfailing love. This is also a certain truth. Dear ones, Jeremiah had hope had the hope that God would restore the kingdom and release the people from captivity so that they could once again become a nation. And he was certain of this. As a matter of fact, if you read the history of Jeremiah, 
He took the last money he had and bought a parcel of land just as the Babylonians burst through the walls of Jerusalem. When Yeshua was born, the Jewish people were looking for a Messiah who would live out Jeremiah's dream. There had been many who had claimed to be Messiah, but they had been put to death, most of them, and nothing had changed. And in fact, the people had almost given up hope when our Messiah Yeshua was born. And I think the people in our day find it difficult to hope too. Can we hope for justice? Can we hope for the elimination of crime? Can we hope for the elimination of prejudice? Is there any hope that we can have a world that's free from disease and free from warfare? Can we hope that, that someday we'll be free from all the sins and temptations that drag us all down? Well, here's the answer. Hope is a reality only in Messiah. You see, there are two very different types of hope in this world. One is hoping for something, and the other is hoping in someone. And the Apostle Paul described this beautifully in Ephesians 2, verses 11 to 13. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Messiah, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, no hope, and without God in the world. But now, say that with me, but now, in Messiah Yeshua, you who once were far off have been made near by the blood of Messiah. There is hope. There's the hope of heaven. And I believe that when the Bible refers to heaven, I don't think the writers were necessarily concerned with geography or real estate. They were concerned with a new relationship. You see, heaven is where God is. And we have the hope one day of being with God where he is. And there is also hope in the return of our Messiah. You know, it's interesting. The story of God's mighty acts begins where? In a garden, recorded in chapter 1 of the book of Genesis. And I think the story of God's mighty acts ends in the garden of a newly created universe. We find it in the book of Revelation. From the beginning of creation... God has wanted a people to call his own. I'm reading from Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 7. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, 
and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, and there shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. I will be his God, and he shall be my son. We are all waiting for the return of Messiah to see that come to pass. But, dear ones, we wait in hope, convinced that God will do what he says he will do. And so I would ask these questions. Do you have hope in times of despair? Are you ready to do whatever it takes today to trust in God and his goodness, no matter what has happened or what may happen? And even more important, Are you willing to receive the free gift of eternal life through the death, burial, and resurrection of our Messiah despite what other people may say? The Lord, dear ones, is all we have. He's our portion. We belong to him. So whatever happens, we have hope. We have hope. And I want to close this in a little different way than I normally close. I have a confession. I like hymns. I don't mean as opposed to hers. I like hymns. They're meaningful. I've got three Christian radio stations on my car radio. I'm tired of all of them. It seems like they all sound the same after a while. But the hymns, if only they could do them in a minor key. You know what I mean? (laughs) And so I'm going to close with a hymn. And if you want to join me, you can join me. And it goes like this. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been Thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy 
hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. How about another hymn? And I know that in a Messianic congregation, you're not supposed to say the word Jesus. But guess what? Shakespeare had it right when he said a name by any other name will smell as sweet. You may know this one, too. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ's solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. His oath, his covenant, his blood, support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ's solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ's solid rock I stand, All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Our Lord and our hope, we know that we often fail you. We forget to watch. We forget to wait. We make holy days more about ourselves than sharing the hope that only you can bring. Help us to remember that it's all about you and your message and the ministry of your son, Yeshua, the one who came to heal, to liberate, and to bring hope. Renew our hope in you today. Let us all say together, amen.